invite you to take your Bible or to grab a pew Bible and to turn to the book of Philippians and chapters, uh, chapter 4 and verses 8 and 9. Philippians 4 and verses 8 and 9. Just two short verses, although they are packed full of things to learn and think about and apply. Short paragraph in chapter 4. I'm going to pray first and then I'm going to read it. Holy Father, this passage is, uh, at least to some degree, about our minds and what we choose to think about. And so I pray even right now that you would prepare our minds to uh, hear what you have to say to us. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing to you. Help us to focus on the right things. Help us to believe that which is true. Help us to reject that which is false and unhelpful. I pray specifically that our minds would be beautiful places, places where we think beautiful thoughts that are true and holy and just. I pray for your help with that. Amen. Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. All right, well, we're thinking about our minds today, so I invite you to think about how much of your life is lived inside your mind. Uh, A very large percentage of our experience of life on this earth is experienced in our minds, right? Not living exactly right in the moment, but living up here, right? Either looking back and reliving the past, thinking about things that have happened in the past, or looking forward and speculating about what might happen in the future, or thinking about things that have not happened in the past and will not happen in the future, but you're still just thinking about them. Thinking, think about a conversation that you've had in the past, Right? It's done. It's over. It's in the past. And yet you're still reliving that conversation, having it over and over again in your mind. Think of bitterness. Some, some, some hurt that happened to you that resulted in bitterness and you just carry that with you and you hold it in your mind. It only exists in your mind. And yet you can't let go of it. It's like a, it's like a smoldering campfire that's inside of you that that slowly burns from the inside out. Or think of all the time in your life that you've wasted on fears that never happened. Right? They only ever existed in your mind. And yet you spent a lot of time and energy thinking about those things that never happened. When I think of that, I'm reminded of one of my favorite quotes. It's by Mark Twain. He said, I have suffered many difficult and painful things in my life, none of which ever happened to me, 
right? It's that idea that we, we, we inflict suffering on ourselves by speculating about things that are going to happen that, that never end up happening. Or more positively, think of someone who has just an indestructible peace of mind, right? They're, they're peaceful and joyful always, and it can't be shaken or broken no matter what their external circumstances. They have peace and joy in their mind. Think of actions that you have taken, real actions, stuff you've done, that has changed your life, major actions that began as ideas in your mind, right? You thought it first, then you did it. Your thought life, the things that go on in your head, is, that's one of the most important things about you. And it exists only between you and God. I don't have access to what happens in your mind. You don't know what goes on in my mind. I can tell you some of the things, but that's really only a very small percentage of what goes on up there. Right? I, I just had a meeting this past Friday, and I said to the person I was talking with, I said, I, I, I think I'm getting about 48% of you right now. And my point was, I, there's so much going on in his head that I just don't know, I don't have access to. We only, we only have access to as much as we give to one another. And 48% was probably a generous estimate. Generous estimate. We, we, just, we, don't, we don't get full access to one another because a lot of it stays up in our mind. But even though we don't have access to each other's minds, in a way, our minds are on display for everyone to see. We can see what's going on in your mind by looking at the kind of life that you're living. Eventually, your thought life comes out in real life through your actions, through your words. What you choose to think about shapes who you are and what you do in deeply profound ways. Right? If you're scared all the time, if you're a scared person, that's going to affect your actions in very real and concrete ways. You're going to live a different life than someone who's fearless. If you're full of love all the time in your mind, always thinking loving and lovely thoughts, that's going to affect your actions. You're going to live a different life than someone who's only thinking selfish thoughts about themselves. The man who commits adultery in real life has walked down that path a hundred times in his mind first. So that when he acts on those thoughts, he's demonstrating to us what kind of place his mind is. The woman who lays down her life in sacrificial love for someone else, do you know what? I guarantee you, that woman has been thinking loving and selfless thoughts towards others for a long time before she was provided the opportunity to act on them. Her action of sacrificial love gives us a window into what kind of place her mind is like, what kind of thoughts she thinks. Our character and our actions and our words reveal what kinds of things go on in our minds. Every thought you have is shaping you in one way or another. Do you believe that? Every single thought you have, every single thought that runs through your head is shaping you in one way or another. All the time we're being shaped by our thoughts. And that's why when we think about living a godly and faithful life, we shouldn't immediately jump to our actions, right? Our tendency is a faithful life, a life of obedience, where we're talking about our actions, 
But we shouldn't leap over our minds, our thoughts, when we think of a faithful and obedient life. Because actions begin as thoughts. Christ-like lives are lived by people who have Christ-like minds. Behind every beautiful, Christ-like, God-glorifying life is a redeemed and sanctified mind that thinks beautiful thoughts. If you could somehow have access to the mind of a person who's living a truly Christ-exalting life, you'd find a mind that is not perfect, but you'd find a mind that is in the habit of thinking God-honoring, Christ-exalting, and loving thoughts. And it works the other way, too. Behind every wicked and evil life, there is a mind darkened by evil thoughts. There is an ugly mind behind an ugly life. But here's the problem. Apart from God's grace, we all have darkened minds. Right? So, so before you walk down the path of the Pharisee, right? That sinful, judge, judgmental Pharisee who says, God, I, God, I'm glad I'm not like him. Let's not do that. Let's take a moment and remember, we too, all of us, sometimes have darker thoughts. Let's remember what a scary place a human mind can be. That's depressing. And if you're not occasionally frightened by frightened or surprised or shocked by what your mind is capable of, then you're nothing like me. But here's the great news. If you are in Christ, then by the power of the Holy Spirit, He is able not just to change your actions, but He is able to reshape your mind, to change your mind. That point was made in this book of Philippians back in chapter 2. You might remember it said, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So God is able to take the, the, the clay of our minds and to shape it to think sanctified and God-honoring thoughts, right? That, that this mind is ours in Christ Jesus. But it would be foolish for us to think that that would be easy. God doesn't bypass our will and our discipline and our effort, God works through our will and discipline and effort. So here's the principle this morning. Here's the principle of the passage. Your mind is a muscle, and by God's grace, you can train it and strengthen it. Or you can ignore it and let it go slack and flabby. So let's just be honest, if you want a healthy mind, if you want a sanctified and beautiful mind that thinks lovely thoughts, it's going to take work. It's at, some, at some point, it's not going to come naturally to you, and you're going to have to work on it. The Bible regularly refers to the Christian life as a struggle, a race, a pursuit. It tells us to make every effort, to strain every muscle in pursuit of godliness. The Bible is very clear on that. It takes effort. It takes work. It's a pursuit of godliness. We don't just drift into it. Yes, it's God at work in us, but God works through our will and our discipline. And it's a good effort. It's a joyful pursuit, but it is work. Lately, I've been reading um, a book with my son Elliot on this topic. It's, uh, I brought it with me. It's, it's called Disciplines of a Godly Young Man. And uh, if, you, if you have a son and you're looking for ways to disciple and mentor him and lead him 
in the ways of the Lord. You, this book is excellent. If you don't, that, that's sometimes hard to know what to do. How do I disciple my son? This book is very helpful, Disciplines of a Godly Man. But the point that the book makes over and over again is that no one drifts into excellence. If we want to be godly, it's going to take work. It's going to take effort. You have to pursue it. You have to prioritize it. You have to make sacrifices for it. The Christian life is like that, and we won't make progress in our Christ-likeness and spiritual maturity unless we pursue it, go after it. And in many ways, what I'm saying this morning is that that pursuit begins with our minds. Not our actions, but it begins with our minds because our actions flow out of our thoughts. So what are you doing with your mind? Are you just drifting? Do you just think about whatever comes to mind? Or are you training it? Are you stretching it? Are you strengthening it? Purposefully cultivating the practice of thinking about whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. That's what Paul tells us to do with our minds. Look again at the text. First, Paul writes, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Train your mind to think on these things. There's any number of things you could be thinking about, but choose to think about these things. And then he says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Right? So he's making the connection between our thoughts and our actions. Let your actions flow out of your thoughts. Think on these things and then practice these things. And then he says, if you think on these things and if you practice these things, then the God of peace will be with you. There's the promise, right? That if our thought life is defined by these things and if we put these thoughts into practice in our lives, then we will experience the peace of God in our lives. That's the passage in a nutshell. Just two verses, but a lot there. Sanctified thoughts lead to sanctified actions, which in turn leads to peace in our lives. And that means that the opposite is also true. Sinful thoughts lead to sinful actions, which in turn robs us of peace in our lives. In some ways, the, 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 the whole story of the Bible is the story of peace, right? We had peace with God in the garden when he first created us and when he walked with us. Shalom is the Hebrew word that the Bible refers to that situation. Shalom, peace. But then they question God's goodness in their minds, right? Did he really say? Is he really looking out for us? Are his rules what's best for us? They question God's goodness. That results in sinful, rebellious actions, breaking his law. And all of a sudden, the peace is gone. That's how it works. Now they're alienated from God. They're kicked out of the garden. No more peace but toil, sweat, pain, conflict, death. But God made a provision to fix that by sending the Prince of Peace to bring peace back to God's people, to reconcile God's people to God. That's why Paul could say in another letter, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. That peace is available to us because of the gospel. So last week we talked about the peace of God that surpasses understanding, that guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This week, 
Paul is exhorting us to train our minds so that we don't miss out on that peace. Think about these things, practice these things, and the peace of God will be with you. That's what's at stake here when we think about training our minds to meditate on these things. We're not talking about earning our peace with God. We're never talking about us earning our peace with God. Uh, We could never do that. We're talking about experiencing that peace that has been earned for us, experiencing it every moment of every day, experiencing it in an ongoing and everyday way, the peace that is ours in Christ Jesus. And the only way that we will experience that is if we learn the practice of thinking about the right things and avoiding the practice of dwelling upon the wrong things. And so for the remainder of our time this morning, I just want to think briefly about each of these categories of things that Paul says that we're supposed to be thinking on. Let's just run through them. First, he says, think about whatever's true. Think about true things. So what is true, right? That's probably the most important question anyone can ask. What is true? So much of what we choose to think about and meditate on determines what we believe is true, determines how we see the world. For example, studies show that people who watch a lot of television tend to think that violent crime is far more common than it actually is. They think violent crime is happening all the time all over the place, when in reality it's much less likely. Why why are they confused? Why do they think that? It's because television is shaping the way that they view reality. It's giving them a false picture of the world. I'm not saying that Christians shouldn't watch television. What I'm saying is that we should be careful about the data that we're inputting into our minds and we better learn how to distinguish between truth and falsehood and learn to meditate on that which is true because that will determine how we see reality. So where do we go for our objective standard of what is true and what is false? Uh, Not television. Don't expect the world to provide you with an accurate answer to the question, what is true? We go to the source, right? You know how I'm going to answer that question. We go to our Bibles. Our God is a God of truth. Our God sets the standard for truth, and our God is a communicating God, and he has revealed the truth to us in the book that he gave us. This is the truth that we need to meditate on, this is the truth that needs to define reality for us. You remember the illustration, those of you who heard the sermon last week about Sarah Edwards? Remember she was confronted with the tragedy of losing her husband totally out of the blue. He's 54 years old and he's gone. And in response to that, she was appropriately sad as anyone would be and should be. She was grieving appropriately. But she also chose to focus on that which is true. Reminding herself and reminding her daughter that, yes, this is sad. Yes, we are grieving. Yes, there is a black cloud hanging over us right now. But also, God is in control. God is good. The fact that we had any good years at all with uh, my husband is a gift from God and ought to be received with gratitude. Those were the truths that she chose to focus on instead of brooding about, well, how unfair this is and how angry I am and how could God allow this to happen to me. And that decision to focus on that which is true is what got her through. But here's the thing. It's going to be hard to think about 
true things about God in those moments unless we've already made a habit of training our minds to think about that which is true. It wasn't like in the moment when Sarah Edwards heard that her husband had died, she suddenly at that moment made a commitment, oh, now I'm going to start thinking about things that are true. She had a whole habit of that her whole entire life. Her mind was already trained to focus on true things about God so that when she found herself in the valley, she knew what to think about, right? Her mind was fit. Her mind was strong. Her mind was trained to think about the truth. Your mind is a muscle, and you can train yours as well. Think on that which is true. Second, whatever is honorable. Honor. Honor, honor is something that's highly valued in our culture. Everybody loves the idea of being honorable. That's good. Uh, but liking the concept of honor doesn't necessarily mean that you are living a life that's consistently honorable, right? There's a big difference between, between being honorable when it suits me and being consistently honorable at all times in all circumstances. Uh, I'll give you an example that has stuck with me over the years. It's memorable. It shows how you can be honorable in one way, but not honorable at the same time in a different way. It's a true story about this guy drove through the um, the drive through of a fast food restaurant late at night one night, and when he opened his food bag, he realized that instead of being handed a bag full of the food he ordered, he was handed a bag full of money. Uh, that was all the income from the day uh, at that restaurant. That, that bag was supposed to go to the bank, uh, but he got it instead. So he immediately went back to the restaurant and returned it, returned the money, returned the bag. The manager was so happy, so relieved, and he said, listen, we got to call the newspaper. We got to let them know this is a great story. You are a good Samaritan. And the guy said, thanks for the thought, but I'd rather that you just kept this quiet. You see, that woman out there in the car is not my wife, and I don't want it getting back to my wife that I was out late tonight. <laughs> True story, right? So that man was being inconsistently honorable, right? Like, which is, which is not being honorable at all, right? So being honorable means doing the right thing all the time. Not just when it suits you, but all the time. Christians are supposed to be honorable even when it burns. And that begins in our thought life. Third, think about that which is just. Just. The word there, just, it means conforming to the character of God. Conforming to the character of God. Our God is just. Justice matters a lot to God. God intends for his people to think about that. To allow those thoughts about what is just to then translate into just actions. Sin is destructive in so many ways. Sin breaks our relationship with God. Sin breaks our relationships with others. Sin damages and deforms us from within. Sin also creates injustice in the world. God created the world good and just, but sin has introduced cruelty and injustice into the world. And God has made it perfectly clear both in the Old and the New Testaments that he intends for his people to be agents of justice in a sinful and unjust world. Not only looking out for themselves, not only thinking about their own individual salvation, but engaging an unjust world with the compassionate and merciful justice of God. 
The Bible doesn't allow for followers of Jesus to be apathetic or selfish or cynical about the suffering of others. It doesn't encourage us to just kind of step back and shrug our shoulders and say, yeah, but what are you going to do? The problems are so big. God is serious about justice and God expects his people to be as well. And we won't be able to cultivate that heart posture unless we spend time thinking about whatever is just. Asking ourselves, what would justice look like in this situation? Christians should be constantly thinking on that. Fourth, whatever is pure. Honor might be a value that we... That, that we hold up in our culture and, and admire it, even if we don't always practice it, but purity is not. Of all these things that we're supposed to think about, according to Paul, thinking on whatever is pure is arguably the toughest in our current cultural setting. The reason is because of the constant barrage of that which is impure. And listen, I don't want to spend too much time on this one, not because it's not important, it definitely is important, not because there's no one here that struggles with this, because there definitely are people that struggle with this. But I don't want to spend a lot of time on it because the solution to this problem is not complex. Don't tempt yourself. Don't play with fire. Don't even go anywhere near the fire of impurity. Don't play games with your lust. Jesus told us that we're supposed to tear out our eyes before we do that. You say, well, no, 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 but you don't understand. Everybody watches these things. It's no big deal. You know what? Everybody doesn't look at things that are impure, and it is a big deal. And someone else might say, well, no, no, you don't understand. This is an addiction. And now I'm in the pit, and I'm addicted, and I can't get out of it. I understand. I understand, but listen, don't ever believe, don't ever believe the lie that your sin is stronger than the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. It's not. Right? That's what the Bible teaches. Yes, we are sinful, and yes, sin is powerful, but your sin is not more powerful than the power of the Holy Spirit. One time I preached a, a sermon at a different church, and a, a guy uh, who was obviously in a lot of emotional pain came up to me after the service. I don't know this guy. Uh, he, showed, he said, here are my notes to the sermon. And he showed it to me. And he said, I made a little mark on the page every time I caught myself thinking a lustful thought while you were speaking. I looked at his notes. It was full of little hash marks. And he gave me this look, and he was like, see, I'm hopeless. I lost the battle. What, what am I going to do? I can't beat this. So listen, here's my counsel to him and to everyone else who can't seem to get out of the cycle of thinking impure thoughts. First of all, what I said to him is, I said, look, all right, look, we're talking about sin. We're talking about sin. Let's start with the gospel. Let's start with grace. Let's, let's just remind ourselves that God didn't accept you because of your good works. If you are in Christ, God accepted you because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so you need to remind yourself that he's not going to reject you just because of your ongoing struggles with sin. Right? Hang on to that truth while you fight sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That applies to all of us who are in Christ Jesus, no matter what sins we struggle with. Second, though I said you do have to take your sin seriously, just because it's forgiven 
doesn't mean we can ignore it. We have to take sin seriously, and sin is toxic. And keeping sins hidden will rob you of the peace of God. It'll eat you up from the inside out. So we need to view the sin of impurity as an enemy, an intruder into our lives that would like nothing better than to wreck our lives, right? If a person broke into your home, you'd do something. You'd call the cops, you'd fight, you'd take it seriously. Well, we need to treat the sin of impurity with that kind of urgency. It's an intruder in your life that wants to destroy your life. And get this sin into the light. Sin dies in the light. As hard as, and, and as embarrassing as that can be, tell the people that you're closest with that you're struggling with this and stop living a lie. You never have victory over a sin that you keep hidden in the closet. Sin loves darkness. Sin thrives in the closet. This guy, after the service, was telling me, but I didn't know him. I was never going to see him again. He needed to tell someone that would be able to hold him accountable and to walk alongside of him and encourage him. And finally, if you're struggling to focus on whatever is pure, then don't even go near any temptation. Why would you? Do you know, I'm going to say something radical now. You don't need a computer. Do you believe that? You, you don't. You don't need a television. You don't need to look at magazines. You don't. You think you do, but you don't. For the vast majority of the history of humanity, humans didn't have any of those things, and they got along okay. What you do need is to pursue purity. You do need to do that. So if you've developed sinful paths or thought patterns in your mind, then let God, by the power of his Holy Spirit, retrain your mind and forge new paths and enable you to think about whatever is pure instead of thinking about that which is impure. Okay, enough on that. Fifth, whatever is lovely, lovely. Whatever is pleasing, whatever is beautiful. Fill your minds with lovely things. Uh, that's not hard, right? We're, God made a beautiful world. We're surrounded by beauty. God's an artist, and he created a masterpiece. And we just need to open our eyes and look to appreciate it and fill our minds with beauty. And, and as we take the time to appreciate the beauty of creation, that's not just an end in itself. We are drawing near to the artist who created it when we do that. Uh, listen to this to this poem, the way the poet expresses it. He says, Heaven above is brighter blue, earth around is sweeter green. Something lives in every hue that Christless eyes have never seen. In other words, what he's saying is that because I know Christ, I can appreciate the beauty of his creation in ways that don't know him can't do. He continues, Birds with gladder songs overflow, flowers with deeper beauties shine. Since I know, as I now know, that I am his and he is mine. Right? The point is that because we know the creator, the creation becomes more lovely. Just like if you per have a personal encounter with a particular artist, all of a sudden that artist's work becomes more meaningful to you because you know the artist personally. So we train our minds to appreciate the art of God who has revealed himself to us personally. All right, the sixth one is a more general one. Whatever is commendable, that basically means think about the good stuff, not the bad stuff, right? We, we do learn from bad examples, but don't live there. Don't, don't only look at the negative stuff. 
Focus on that which is commendable. Focus on the good. You don't have to be naive about it, but there's an awful lot of commendable things happening in the world, and we don't want to miss them because we're caught up in the bad things. Paul closes with a couple of broad catch-all words by way of summary. Anything that is excellent, anything that is praiseworthy, think about these things. Paul says all these things in a positive way. Think on the good things. The negative is implied here. In other words, if you want to experience the peace of God in your life, don't spend your time meditating on whatever is untrue, whatever is dishonorable, whatever is unjust, whatever is impure, whatever is unlovely, whatever is not commendable, not excellent, not worthy of praise. Don't think on those things. Think on excellent, praiseworthy things. And what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, me, Paul, practice these things yourself. And when we think on these things and when we practice these things, the God of peace will be with us. The Bible never promises that these things will be easy, but it does promise that this will be worth it. So by God's grace, work hard at training your mind. Your mind is a muscle and it can be trained. It can be strengthened. God the Holy Spirit is the one who does the work, but that doesn't mean that we sit back and do nothing. He will work through your faithful hard work. So along those lines, I just have three short recommendations to help us all train our minds. Uh, one is obvious, and I, and I hope and trust you're already do, doing this, but make sure that reading God's word is a daily practice in your life, a regular part of your day. Be feeding God's beautiful truth into your mind, into your body every single day. If that's not a daily habit or practice for you, that's the most important takeaway from this that you can do. You will train your mind to think about what is true, good, lovely, honorable, just by reading God's word every day. Second thing uh, is to memorize God's word. And I know uh, memorizing it can sometimes feel boring or a challenge, um, but it, it's, it's worth taking the time to press God's word into our minds and into our hearts. And so here's my challenge to you. My family, during our uh, Sunday family meetings, this summer, we're memorizing Colossians 3, verses 12 to 17. This is our little card that we bring to our meeting. I would challenge you and encourage you, memorize Colossians 3, 12 to 17. We can do this together. We can encourage one another together. It's worth doing. It's, I won't read the whole passage, but it starts, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. It goes on from there. As we memorize those things, we're training our minds. God's pressing those things into our heart, and that will lead to godly actions. So Colossians 3, 12 to 17, that's my challenge to you. Uh, and the final one is, I mentioned to you that uh, I would give you a preview before I'm going to preach a biographical sermon on Reformation Sunday, like I always do. We're two months out from that. Uh, this is the book I'm going to be preaching from. Darlene Diebler-Rose is, is the author. It's called Evidence Not Seen. She was a missionary in Japan uh, during World War II. She was captured and put in a Japanese prison camp. She survived and wrote this book. I would encourage you to read this book before I preach that sermon. You will be encouraged. You will be edified. You will be built up in your faith. Uh, we'll get copies. We don't have them yet. We'll have them at the welcome table to make it easy for you. You can buy it right there. 
Um, but spending your precious hours reading about men and women who have lived faithful and beautiful lives is a good way to train your mind to think on these things that this passage encourages us to think on. All right, there's more, there's more, but those three things will get us started. Let's pray together. Dear God, thank you for our minds. Minds are a gift. Minds are a blessing. Minds are amazing. We're able to think all kinds of different things, creative things and and loving things, Uh, but minds can also be dark, and that's because of sin, and sin is dark. And so I pray that you would shine the light of your holiness on our minds. I pray that our minds would be lovely places to be. I pray that where there's darkness uh, in our minds, that you would shine your light there. Uh, bring, uh, Bring the luminance of the Holy Spirit. Help us to think, to think things that are true and lovely and holy and just and right and good. And And in the thinking of those things, may those thoughts translate into actions that are true and lovely and honorable and just and good. And we receive the promise that you've given that when we have minds that focus on the good, when we practice the things that we've seen modeled in the Apostle Paul's life, then your peace will be with us. Amen. Wait, the worship team back up.